Jared Kimber, we are here on ESPN Daily about to do something that we have never done on the show before. So thank you very much for letting us do that. No worries. I'm happy to be your opening up partner, which is a cricket term, but I'm not actually going to explain what that means to you. I have so many things I need you to explain to me, Jared. And yes, this is the first episode we have ever done entirely devoted to the sport that you love and you cover and you play cricket. So yeah, this is this is history, man. Hey, it's, it's really, really exciting. I don't know if you know, but like your podcast is quite new, but cricket's actually quite old. So you're only a couple of hundred years behind <laughs> the trends. Well, first of all, how dare you suggest that an American would discover something very old and declare it as new? How dare you? <laughs> But second, Jared, we're actually here to talk about a recent and truly absurd incident in specific, which wound up sucking in lots of people who also qualify as outsiders to the world of cricket, not entirely unlike me, I think. Yeah, around the middle of June, people started sending me these YouTube streams that didn't make any sense. It was cricket on on a camera. There was a camera behind the bowler's arm, and if you don't know anything about cricket, the bowler is essentially the pitcher, but with a straight arm. And behind the bowler, you could see the batter who's facing up to hit the ball. There was the ticker at the bottom of the screen telling you what the situation in the game is. Right. (laughs) There were proper team names. There were proper players. It was the Indian Premier League. This billion-dollar event, and uh, people around the world are watching on their streams and gambling on it, as as you do with all sporting events, I suppose, now. So there are these games happening, but something didn't add up, Jared. Can you describe what exactly that was? I think if you watch cricket closely, you could see that there's quite a few things here are wrong. One of them was just that the players looked far more amateur than professional. But I think the biggest tell, Pablo, was the fact that the actual Indian Premier League had finished three weeks before this game was being live streamed, (laughs) which tells you that there's something not quite right. So (laughs) the thing that this thing is supposed to be had already ended. And, And so what were you actually looking at here if you look closer? These matches were obviously fake and when they were discovered it was a huge sensation across the entire cricket playing world which in terms of people is a very large percentage of the planet good evening to you this sounds straight out of a movie the story to beat all stories the fake cricket league four people were arrested after they were caught orchestrating nearly real matches to dupe money out of russian from color jerseys to walkie talkies to halogen lights to harsh bhogle commentary fake of course The league had all the thrills. It looks like people around the world uh, might have got the leak and were were trying to uh, cash in on this league while being completely swindled by the most high-tech and maybe least high-tech fake league I've ever seen. Cricket is a sport with a rich history of subterfuge, fraud, conspiracy, grifting, whatever you want to call it, pretty much from the time it existed all the way through to now. You may think that the NFL is a huge deal, and it is, right? It is the undisputed king of American sports with more than 400 million fans and a stranglehold over our media economy. 
But the world is also a lot bigger than America. And outside of soccer, there is really nothing quite like cricket, a truly global sport that happens to be the obsession of more than two billion fans, roughly one in every four human beings on planet Earth. And today, this particular podcast. So we asked Jared Kimber to explain the story of a mysterious fake cricket league and why after 15 years of covering the sport, all of it makes a startling amount of sense. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Thursday, July 28th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Jerry Kimber, you are my go-to cricket expert. You are the guy I go to when news emerges, mystifying news emerges about your sport. And so we're about to dive fully into the story of this insane fake cricket league in India. But before we do that, I also wanted to start with a challenge for you, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I know nothing about cricket. Our audience is mostly American. They know nothing about cricket, I am assuming. And so I just want to see if you can explain how this game works in like a minute. Is that, is that, is that a thing you can help us out with at the very top of the show here? Uh, no, but I'll give it a go. I, and Netflix, <laughs> I think Netflix got me on a special with me and Stephen Fry, and it took the two of us about 25 minutes to uh, try and explain it. <laughs> I think the best way of thinking about cricket is it's like a three-dimensional version of baseball because baseball obviously springs out of either cricket or rounders, which, which they all come from the basically, you know, cave, cave people throwing rocks at each other and hitting them with a stick, right? It's a mm. very basic concept that we can all get behind and we all enjoy. And I think that cricket is a more three-dimensional in that you can hit the ball behind you. Mm. So there's something that you can't do in baseball. The ball can bounce on the wicket. So there's something, again, that can't happen uh, in baseball. And the internet, Jared, is telling me that the wicket here refers to a lot of things in cricket, but in this case, you're referring specifically to the field, as in the place where these games actually occur. Also, you can, well, I mean, I suppose the longest ever game went for nine days. Uh, I don't know what the longest ever baseball game is. No, baseball has issue with how long its games go, but it's not yet hit nine days. No, and that game only finished because the players had to get on their boat to go back home. That actually, um, <laughs> the, it, the game wasn't ended. I love ended. the sport already. Yeah. I love the sport already. So, uh, look, it comes, it comes, it was a street game and it's very similar to baseball in many ways in that you do have someone essentially thrusting a ball down to the other end um, to someone who's going to hit it. But there's a lot more layers and details to cricket. I, I suppose in some ways, baseball is sort of like Americans looking at cricket and going, how do we make this a little bit easier for everyone to understand? Mm. And cricket is really the English looking at sport and going, how can we make it so that no one else will ever play it because they'll have no <laughs> idea what we're doing with it? Um, and then you run into the whole English class system and that's why the players wore whites and that's why the game went to 
colonial um, and Commonwealth countries and empire countries right. and not other countries. Um, and so it really was seen as the most English game. But on, its, on the most basic level, it is literally just one person with a ball bowling to someone with a bat and someone trying to whack it. So, Jared, we're peering down now into this deep cultural rabbit hole spanning centuries of colonialism. Yeah. And so at what point in this vast timeline did the concept of a fake cricket league first get onto your radar? Yeah, it was really during the uh, the first lockdown as a, a, for COVID. Before that, there's a lot of leagues, Pablo, that only exist for one reason. And that reason is specifically to sell the betting rights to a gambling company, mm. right? No one's watching them. They've got decent players in them, sometimes famous players, but no one's really watching those leagues. So it was always there. But what happened during lockdown was you couldn't even run those leagues. Someone who worked in cricket sent me a message that there were leagues that existed on uh, scorecards but didn't exist on the field. Mm. And so people were betting on them because the scoring data was still going through betting sites, but there wasn't actually any cricket being played. So we knew that things like that were happening in cricket, but I don't think we realized that there was an industry behind it, which we now know. And so I know details are scarce, Jared, right? Like reporters and investigators alike, they're still trying to figure out exactly what happened here. But what do we know as of today about the current fake league in India that we're discussing? Yes, clearly the details are very scarce at the moment. Most of what we know comes from the local police in India and the streams themselves have disappeared from YouTube. There is footage up that it does appear to come from the scammers, but it's not actually titled correctly. So no one's quite sure what that footage is. So a lot of what we're relying on is the cricket world's collective memory and a few clips that we know for sure are definitely from the scam. So the IPL, the actual IPL, finished at the end of May. Huge thing. Uh, I believe I've got the numbers, Pablo. I think it was over 100 million people watched it on TV. 100,000 people, I think, in the stadium. It was kind of a big deal, that final. (laughs) Three weeks after that is when this league uh, gets played in Gujarat, um, in India, in the very small village of Malipur. So what we know is that there was a farm that was leased for a year which I love the optimism that they thought they were going to get away with this for a year. <laughs> the farmer was paid 70,000 rupees and his bumper ever crop, I think, was around 45 to 50,000 rupees. So he was cashing it in. A lot of the local labourers usually got paid around 200 rupees a day. They were up to 400 rupees a day. They were happy to be involved. There's a lot of unemployed people. It's a small village. Right, to play the roles, to play the roles of of bowler, yeah, of cricketers. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't even... So in cricket, you have 11 players per side. And all the reports I've seen so far, and certainly the ones from the police, suggest that they only had 21 players. So they're actually one short. So players were pro- <laughs> players were changing shirts and going back out there as oh. other members as they were going. The umpires had walkie-talkies, which is actually what professional umpires have. But mm. the information they were getting was not like on weather conditions or um, on umpiring calls. It was on, can you tell the batter to go out now? Can you tell the batter to hit the next ball straight up in the air? And those sorts yeah, of things. Just blunt instruments of match fixing. Yeah. As clear as you could make it, as organized as you can have. And so essentially it feels like there was a tip-off. Maybe someone to do with the coaching of the players, perhaps, but we don't know exactly at this stage. They then went and did a raid and when they got there, they realized that there was 
something very dodgy going on. And I think then a lot of people coughed up uh, to what had happened. A few people have been arrested at this stage. We don't think it's any of the major organizers. But yeah, quite a few of the low-level people have been arrested. But there are certainly a lot of people who have not yet been arrested or maybe won't even be able to be arrested because of the various locations they're in. Okay, so you have these laborers, you have these farmers, these unemployed young people all playing the roles in, in in this theatrical production of cricket. And what you're suggesting, though, is that, like, there are a number of details, starting with just the fact that it was happening after the IPL had obviously concluded, that should have tipped anyone who actually knows about cricket off to the fact that this is not real cricket. Yeah, there's... There's no way you would know about cricket and would watch this and be fooled. One of my favourite little details is that they had little cones on the field. So, like, in cricket, it's a bit like pitching a ball in baseball. If you go too wide, you get penalised. And so we usually have, like, lines drawn on, on the wicket to tell the umpires when it's too wide. For some reason... They had cones on the wicket, like little, like little traffic cones um, on the wicket. <laughs> You're saying which, little traffic cones are not par for the course in cricket. What well, doesn't make any sense? A, people would trip on them because why would they not trip on them? B, the ball could hit them. Fair. Why would you want to have them there? Um, <laughs> and when you started to look, there was also just by the bowler, there was a pile of balls. And th- this is where cricket and baseball completely go separate. Cricket is like the ball is the thing. The ball is supposed to last like 20 overs, 80 overs, whatever that may be. And they've just got a pile of balls near the umpire as if to go, oh, we can't even be bothered chasing that other one. We'll just (laughs) pick this one up. Completely opposite to cricket. And then there were obviously little telltale signs of, you know, the catcher was standing in a position that no professional would stand in, sort of like a no man's land, like he didn't understand it. There was a fielder who was hiding behind him, clearly because he didn't want the ball to come to him. (laughs) This is like Wiley e. Coyote, you know, painting something on a wall and Roadrunner yeah. falling for the it. Tunnel, yeah. The tunnel yeah. on the side of the canyon mountain. Yeah. So it's in no way does it look like an actual tunnel, right? So I think from a <laughs> cricket perspective, that is very fair. If you don't know anything about cricket, it's a really confusing visual medium. On top of that, traditionally, cricket was played in front of big TV cameras and done professionally, you know, that camera of God coming down behind. But what happened was, and I find it's a really interesting thing, and I don't know how many sports this has happened around the world, is sometime around 10 or 15 years ago, people worked out that they could stream cricket really easily and put up the graphics at the bottom to say, you know, Pablo is batting with Jared, right? And, and, you know, and, and, and the bowler is, I don't know, Who's ESPN's biggest? Uh, right, Thompson. Right, right, Thompson's yeah, sure. bowling to us. Right, <laughs> big cricket fan that he is, and so you suddenly had all that. That meant that essentially, suddenly, a lot of cricket on the internet, and we're talking about memes of people falling over and embarrassing themselves, all this sort of stuff, suddenly started flooding the internet. Right, ten years ago, the 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 line between what a professional broadcast would look like and what these things would look like was very stark. Mm. Now, if you're on Twitter and you're Googling funny cricket moments or you're on YouTube or whatever, you're just as likely to be seeing the captain of Romania tripping over his shoelace and falling into the <laughs> ground as you are, you know, Virat Kohli, you know, India's captain smashing a boundary because there's right. so much or, of that or, out or, there. Right, right, Thompson, yeah, bowling a wicked googly. Yeah. yeah, all of this is plausibly presented with a graphics package. Exactly, and if you think about it, what you are watching when you're watching all these streams is essentially 
like dad league basketball games or like mm. midweek softball tournaments. That's all it is. The only difference is it happens to have graphics on it and it happens to have a camera there. And these leagues are all around the world. So it has changed the way that people see cricket. And if, you, if you're not a traditional cricket fan, I'm not sure you would instantly understand, well, that's a proper production and that is a bunch of uh, amateurs just having a bit of fun in a farm in Gujarat. Man, okay, wait, so then the target audience, the target demo for this league in Gujarat, right? Like, who was it? So it, it's because we haven't got all the details, I'm going to have to put some of this together. I believe that this league has spawned out of the fact that there was a group of men in Russia who loved betting about sports, who finished their working day at a particular time when there wasn't a lot of mainstream sports being telecast. Uh, to their location. Mm. Someone worked out how to bring all these different pieces together, um, if only they put their mind to good, not evil, um, <laughs> and worked out that they could put on a league that these people would bet on because it was a good time zone from India to that part of Russia. So uh, Moscow was one of the places. There was also, I think there was betting done in, in other parts of Russia as well. It looks like there were other parts of um, Europe that also did the betting. But there was clearly a Telegram group set up. Yeah, and that's Telegram, the messaging app, which also has all of these other features. You know, a bit like a WhatsApp sort of group where all these people were involved and they were able to make the bets over Telegram. And also, if they didn't know anything about cricket, the organizers of our fake league, Pablo, were so nice, they taught them how cricket worked and also how to bet specifically <laughs> on cricket with an online course, which isn't that nice? But Jared, you point out that Russia, right, like implicitly here, it's not a hotbed of cricket fandom, just to be very clear about this. No, uh, of, of very recent times, the Russian government uh, refused to classify cricket as a sport in Russia. Um, <laughs> since then, they got that overturned. Cricket became a sport in Russia. And then the Congratulations. ICC. Yeah, well done to them. Except then the ICC banned them from cricket briefly for not following the bureaucracy correctly. So... Of recent times, it's fair to say there hasn't been a lot of cricket. There was cricket in Russia because cricket kind of went everywhere in, in the 1800s. It was played everywhere. But then the Bolsheviks thought it was an elitist game, uh, which it is, um, uh, um, sadly. Uh, they were right. Sure. Um, and so sure. cricket kind of faded away. I don't think sort of the English class system was particularly popular in Russia in the <laughs> 1900s. I could be wrong. So I'm imagining now just like the, the scale of the operation here, Jared. And again, like far be it for me to critique someone else's scam. But when you have this many people involved, yeah. right? We're talking about dozens of people or at least 21 people pretending to be 22 people. It, it just feels, Jared, like, you know, this is, this is kind of startling to me at least just as a matter of like, oh, you guys really thought this was going to hold up this secret. Yeah, you talk about the players, uh, there were obviously organizers, there was the video graphics team, there were the camera operators. Mm. Um, I don't know if anyone had hair and makeup. Uh, that was the PA, the PA operator. So we're looking at now 25, 30, maybe 35 people involved. Mm. That's, a, that's now a lot. And you're talking about a very small rural village, which is probably part of the reason they had it there. They thought people wouldn't speak as much. So I think you're right. I think they could have probably scaled it back a little bit more. But, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> All right, coming up. How and why the world of cricket became so ripe for corruption.
Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Jared, now that you've detailed the scope and the scale of this cricket scam, which is admittedly incredibly impressive to me, uh, I do have to confess that one of the things I found very difficult to understand about this whole story was that so many people just took it at face value, that they treated this as as legitimate. And so after exchanging some messages with you about this, it does seem like there's also something bigger and deeper about the structure and the long history of cricket that contributed to the grift here. Yeah, I, I mean, the most important thing that you need to know at the very start is we don't know why it's called cricket. Because the game is so old <laughs> that no one was around to like write down why they started calling it cricket. It's really the first team sport. And so it basically becomes professionalized as the industrial era in England gets a lot of money. So rich industrialists and rich farmers start putting on cricket games uh, in England where, you know, if you were the local, uh, I don't know, blacksmith, I'm trying to think of a job back then, barber, yeah, uh, whatever right, jobs they had right, in, right. in the 1700s and 1800s in England, um, shoe polisher. Tender. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cobbler. Is cobbler. That a thing? Cobbler sounds yep. like a good one, doesn't it? Yeah. Something, yeah. you know. So you would do that all week and then you would play for the local rich person in his cricket team, usually in his own cricket ground. From that springs up this sort of league of counties playing it in England. So, um, you know, almost like the state system you would have, you know, in, in America, all these different counties have teams. That gets to a point where Australia becomes quite good at cricket because England, obviously, I don't need to tell anyone. I'm assuming most people are aware that England did quite a lot of the colonizing. They took empire as a concept as seriously as anybody in the history of the planet. They took cricket with them. Part of the reason they took it with them is they believed that they could teach people. This is, this is the funniest thing. They thought they t- could teach people how to be more civilized than like them through the game of cricket, which as mm, this po- just remember course. that line as you listen through this podcast <laughs> to see how, how ridiculous that is. But that was the idea. And so certain countries completely took to it. And Australia was one of the first ones. Uh, And and then you have um, South Africa was the second nation. Uh, You then have New Zealand, India. We have the West Indies in cricket, which is basically all the Caribbean, a bunch of the English Caribbean islands and Guyana form one team. Cricket was very big in America right up until probably the early 1900s. It was very big in Ireland. Um, But Ireland and America were sort of phased out because they weren't really Commonwealth 
um, countries and they weren't seen as part of the the structure of the Commonwealth. You're damn right, Jared. You're yeah. damn right we're not. So it really just kept going from Commonwealth nation to Commonwealth nation. And it meant that instead of having leagues like you would have in normal sport, you really had these bilateral tours where Australia would catch a boat all the way to England, and they would spend six months playing against every county, against eventually the English team itself. Wow. They would stop on the way and play Sri Lanka and maybe India um, on the way there. Then England would come out to Australia, but on the way they'd play New Zealand. And it just kept going. And then suddenly a very rich Indian uh, person called Lalit Modi, uh, who you can Google his history with American court systems if you'd like. Uh, he's got a very <laughs> interesting past. Uh, Noted. For another episode. Um he basically came into the Indian League and went, well, wait a minute, we've got a billion people. This is our national sport. Um, wh- what if we took the best elements of the Premier League football in the UK and American sports and mashed it together and we came up with a new league in a new format of cricket, which only takes three and a half hours, which is called T20. So you have this sport suddenly beset by team owners and franchises and mm. Chennai Super Kings and, 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 you know, all that sort of thing. Yeah, and this is a system that an American can sort of recognize now. This is a league with franchises organized as you might logically presume. Yeah, but then the bit where it goes a bit weirder is everyone decides after that that they're going to have their own league. So you don't just have the Indian Premier League. You have the Big Bash in Australia. You now have the 100 in England. You have the Manzanzi in South Africa. You have one in UAE. You have one in Hong Kong. (laughs) You have one in Canada. So these are all decentralized and competing on some level with everybody else. Yes. There are probably 20 to 25 fairly high-level cricket leagues at this point all playing quite often at the same time. Imagine LeBron James was playing cricket. He would be playing for seven different teams in one year because he would literally Mm. bounce from league to league to league to make as much money because they're all what we would call pop-up leagues, right? The the longest league is two, two and a half months, Ah. which means you play two and a half months here, you play a month here, you play two weeks here. You, You might just turn up for three games somewhere else, you know, just for the fun of it. It's a bit of a nonsense, but it's a beautiful nonsense. But the logical follow-up question then, Jared, is how then to regulate all of this nonsense? Like, how seriously does cricket actually police the people who break their rules? So cricket's laws, and they are laws, not rules, or playing conditions, Pablo. Um, (laughs) Cricket's laws uh, were devised in a place called Hambledon. Well, that's where they were codified and written up, right? And if you've never heard of Hambledon, That's because it's a bit like Mollipore. It's like a small village, but in England. But for one little period of time, they held these huge games here where people would come in by horse and buggy and ride their horses and, I don't know, maybe walk if they were too poor, to watch these games. And it was a gambling um, centre. And so the laws of cricket were written in this gambling den. Mm. And so specifically... The, the reason that cricket is partly so complicated is because the more things you can bet on, the better it is for the bookmakers. And it's probably one of the few times that a major sport has been so heavily influenced when it comes to the playing conditions and, and how, what happens on the field originally by gambling. Lords is the home of cricket, the major ground, you know, in, in, in the UK. But it, in 1817, had a match-fixing scandal. The first test match between England and Australia, there was supposed to be a wicketkeeper called Ted Pooley who was supposed to be in that game. He was injured, Pablo, and he couldn't play in the game, so he offered to umpire. But while he was umpiring on the game, he was also betting on the game. And then the bookmaker naturally. refused. Yeah, naturally, obviously. What else would you do? And the bookmaker went, wait a minute, maybe this isn't on the up and up. 
and so he refused to pay. He ends up in jail because he attacked a bookie and missed the first test match. You then just have players bet for fun on themselves, especially a lot of Australian players. But the notion that it is totally normalized for these players to bet on themselves, to bet on the games they are actively participating in while they are participating in them, Jared. Like that to me is kind of mind blowing, but you're suggesting that all of that actually hasn't even gotten dark yet in terms of the history of gambling and the sport. No, look, there was probably times when darkness had happened. We'd seen a couple of moments, but it's really the late 90s when cricket completely explodes in the subcontinent of Asia, you know, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. Uh, You can now add places like Nepal and Afghanistan and Bangladesh to that as well. But it was that 90s period where betting on cricket was illegal in those places. And that sort of allows for so many people throughout Asia to start to bet on cricket. And because there's no legal um, system, it means that organised crime sort of takes over. And that leads to three major players, Mohammad Azaruddin from India, Salim Malik from Pakistan and Hansi Kronier from South Africa, all captains of their nations being suspended for fixing games or being uh, under suspicion of fixing games. And it becomes a big, sort of the biggest story in cricket becomes that you're not quite sure if the game you're watching is on the level. At the same time that I suppose athletics and baseball and cycling are going through everyone cheating to be good, cricket is going through a crisis. steroids, performance-dancing drugs, exactly. And cricket is going through a crisis of everyone cheating to be bad, um, which is (laughs) weird, but I suppose it follows the, the, the logic that cricket's always a bit odd. Yeah, well, it also feels like this is a function too of just... Of empire building, right, Jared? I mean, you've exported this game to everywhere, to all these corners of the world via the British Empire, via colonialism. And so it is incredibly popular. It is difficult to govern as a function of how popular and far-flung the game seems to be. When when we have match-fixing in cricket, watching the officials try and work out how they can even find evidence when it'll be a Pakistani player who probably lives in Dubai right, who's got probably a US, an Indian, a Pakistani, maybe an English cell phone. He's probably on tour in the West Indies, which means one week he's in Guyana and the next week he is in Jamaica. Think about that from a a law enforcement. If you were a government trying to catch someone, you wouldn't be able to do it. This is a cricket body. You know, they've they've got a few... (laughs) They can't subpoena, they don't have extradition powers. They've got like, I think they occasionally hire people that with really good international policing backgrounds, but they don't have any power. And so you just get this thing of literally half of the the times it's leaked to the press is how it's come out. It's very rare that the poor cricket boards, who are doing their best, I'm sure, get anywhere close to the fixing that happens in the game. Which makes the whole notion of we don't have rules, we have laws, a little ironic. You said that, not me. (laughs) And the thing about it happening in this way is that for all of the, the mess, it does not seem like the business of cricket, Jared, writ large, in the macro sense, that it's been negatively impacted. It seems to be so wildly popular still, or am I missing something on that? No, it's, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar sport. It's an incredibly popular sport. It's funny, there's always this fear. Cricket's always talking about how every format's about to die. And then we just either invent another format or it gets even more insanely popular with a new tournament or something. (laughs) It's probably never had so many people following so many games. The most important thing to know about cricket though is no one's in charge. 
There's, there's no, uh, oh God, I've forgotten his name. What's the NBA? Um, Adam Silver, the there's, commissioner. There's no Adam Silver. There's not even a David Stern, right? It's just like different leagues are popping up here and here and everyone's trying to be in charge of it. No one even knows what's happening. It's such a mess. And the more money that gets into it, the more incredibly weird it becomes. Yes. Okay. So as the sport is becoming even weirder and it's growing and it's becoming more popular and billions upon billions of people are obsessed with this thing. This sort of lack of fundamental trust in the institution, which is barely a cohesive single institution, but many, many institutions connected in some sort of web, Jared, how do you deal with that? How do you solve the issue of corruption in cricket? Where do you even start to solve that? I think the, the biggest thing is probably to legalize gambling in a lot of those countries. And some of them have started to look towards that. Sri Lanka, I think in 2010, was maybe one of the first nations that did that. Um, the thing about legal gambling, and I don't know if this has spread to the America yet, is when you have legal gambling, bookmakers don't like to be cheated. Mm -hmm. So they can tell when someone is fixing something. Yes. That's a big step forward. The other thing that we really need in cricket is for probably the ICC, who I've mentioned a couple of times, to actually run the game globally rather than what they are at the moment is more like the people who organize the balls and, and the paperwork. If someone was actually in charge, there are certain things we could do. But there is almost a, almost an element of the best case scenario for cricket is being like FIFA. <laughs> um, and if you remember what happened to FIFA, it's not like them having a much more organized, structured league than cricket did actually did them any good. There was still a little bit of corruption there. Jared, it seems telling that your suggestion to solve the corruption of cricket is to be more like FIFA. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> ideal, is it? it? But baby steps is what you're suggesting. It's just, I, I don't know how you deal with being an international sport is such a problem when you look at governance and it means that so many things happen that you can't have anything to do with and you can't stop. So to return at the end here, Jared, to the scam that sparked our conversation and this episode, now that we have the police involved and people have been arrested and this specific fake league has been, has been stopped, I assume, like, at the very least, there's quiet now on that front. Like, where are we in terms of the dustbin of match-fixing history? Well, no. Um, unfortunately, I think it was within three days, the police in another region said there was another fake league, which at least <laughs> now was linked to our fake league. Um, not yours and I, ours. But, you know, uh, I feel like it is ours in some ways. At this point, I do feel invested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I Figuratively, would have invested if they'd asked. If they'd asked yeah. for money, I would have got involved. <laughs> I feel it's incredible. Um, so, yeah, I, th I, I certainly do. There's at least one other fake league. I'm now hearing there may be up to as many as 17 oh my fake God. leagues out there. And, and the other interesting thing is that the last thing I heard was that volleyball might be included as well. So they're diversifying their product. Um, <laughs> and if you, India, not only does India have, you know, billion people, it's a really big place. There are so many places you could hide these things. You could just keep going from village to village, from small right. town to small town. An entire subcontinent. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I'm hoping though that the original people who were scammed at least saw that news article that they had been scammed if they haven't been made aware in any other way. <laughs> and at the very least, now they understand after listening to this podcast, Jared, that they are very much not alone. You should definitely not bet on a cricket game if there are um, traffic cones on the wicket. That's my, that's my <laughs> basic level law uh, rule for you. Law for you. Law. We'll go with laws. 
a law, always a law. Jared Kimber, thank you for telling us how the laws and the whole world pretty much actually works. No worries. Thanks for having me on. For more of Jared Kimber's work and analysis on cricket, you can subscribe to his Patreon at patreon.com slash Jared Kimber, where you can get his podcasts and his writing and his YouTube videos. And we'll put a link to that in today's show notes. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.